1: Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town Podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio. A 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shelf from Lugoff, South Carolina. Who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods? And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town, no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is a show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head, because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. October 4, 2016. For Jennifer and her husband Chris and their four children, it was just a regular Tuesday, up until around 8 p.m. that evening. Jen was driving home, and she had their two daughters in the car, ages 12 and 4. She stopped at a stop sign and then proceeded into the intersection without seeing the motorcycle that was approaching on her left. The motorcycle hit her car, and with that collision, the lives of two families were forever changed. David, the driver of the motorcycle, was taken to the hospital, where he died two days later. In my conversation with Jen, we talk about a lot of different aspects of what happened. She told me a little about what life was like before the accident, and she described what happened from the moment of impact and the hours and days that followed. We discussed her feelings of guilt at being responsible for the death of a person, her overwhelming sadness that it happened, her fear of what was going to happen to her from a legal or criminal standpoint and what happened when she had a chance encounter with one of David's friends. She also talked about what she's doing today to help others who found themselves in similar situations. There's actually an acronym for someone that has gone through this. That person is called a That's spelled C-A-D-I, and it stands for Caused Accidental Death or Injury. You'll hear Jen use that acronym during our conversation, so I wanted to let you know what it is ahead of time. For people that have caused the accidental death of a person, there are resources available, and I'll have those listed in the show notes for this episode at whatwasthatlike.com forward slash zero one. Also, a warning. Around 14 minutes into our conversation, you'll hear the actual recording of the 911 call that Jen made at the time of the accident. In the beginning, she's on the phone with the 911 operator Then she hands the phone to a man who was also on the scene, and he talks to the operator briefly. Following that is a second brief 911 call from a female who was on the scene. Again, this is about 14 minutes into our conversation, so if you might find the intensity of that audio to be upsetting, you can fast forward about four minutes to skip past that. One of the takeaways from this conversation is that it's good to see things from a different perspective. You know, we hear about accidents like this almost every day, and it's really easy to assume that the person is just some selfish jerk who is talking on their phone or texting or just not paying attention, even though we really don't know what actually happened. Sometimes those assumptions are true, but not always. Today we get to hear the other side of that story. If you'd like to contact Jen directly with questions or comments, you can email her at beautifullybrokenblog sixteen at gmail.com, and I'll have that link in the show notes as well. So with that, please enjoy my conversation with Jennifer. Jen, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Do you listen to podcasts? You know, I've only listened to a few. Um, if I happen to fumble upon an advertisement on Facebook or something and, you know, it catches my eye, I'm not a faithful follower of podcasts. Um okay. busy mom.
0: Well, maybe, maybe this summer. Someday. Maybe this summer. You know, <laughs> I'm off
2: during the summer, so maybe I can get caught up on the world of podcasts.
0: You have been through a lot. And but before we get into, you know, what has happened or you know, the event on that day in October, can you tell us a little bit about what your life was like leading up to that? I know you've got some kids. Your husband is a is a, a coach, I think. And can you just tell us a little bit about what were your, what was your life like before the accident?
2: Sure. Um, you know, I think about my life before the accident a lot. Um, I'm just, you know, firstborn daughter. Um, I have one sister who's younger than me, and so I have firstborn syndrome. <laughs> um, I love my parents. They are just some of the kindest, most supportive people you'll ever meet. Um, Grew up in Texas, lived in Dallas my whole life. Um, Married to my husband now almost 17 years, and we have four beautiful children. And yes, he is a coach. He coaches everything um, at a small private Christian school. So I'm a teacher. Um, Life was... um, I I don't know, normal. I don't know if there's a normal, um, felt pretty normal, you know, voter and um, involved in our church and community and all those normal things. You know, I studied special education. I worked in all kinds of different schools. We've been in ministry. We worked at a children's home for several years. And um, so our life was always unique before the accident. Um, and we have had adversity. I feel, I tell people that our marriage was kind of founded on struggle. We got married young. Nobody wanted us to get married. (laughs) We were just babies, but we were so in love and, um, and it worked out (laughs) so far. It's worked out. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing good.
0: And not but not too long before the accident you 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 had some medical issues with one of your daughters or two daughters yes. is that did I read that correctly?
2: We yes, um, so uh, when our oldest daughter was three, she had neurosurgery um to uh, correct a tumor that had developed on her spine called a syrinx so um through that process, which was like eight to nine months of getting a diagnosis, um we found out that. Two of our children, our oldest and our daughter, Katie, has cranial synestosis, and it's kind of a, it's a neurological um, deformity of how the the brain and the sutures close, so you can't really tell it sometimes from looking at them, um, but it can create complications later, like the syrinx on her spine. Um, So she had uh, surgery at three, you know, because she was trying to explain to me boo-boo and You know, there's ants on my feet, but there's no ants there. Um, So she had brain surgery at three. And um, later, you know, we went through um, some other things with her. Uh, So the short version, the short version of that is basically for the eight months leading up, my family had extreme kind of emotional stress, but nothing compared to the accident. Like, no previous things I'd ever experienced could prepare me for that, but I believe it prepared me for that. Like, just the overcoming and the support system and the believing, you know, my faith had been built up, seeing things happen so it helped and it, it helped and it hindered <laughs> life.
0: Because, yeah, because I can see what you're saying. You were already a little stressed out from going through all that. Right. But on the other hand, kind of like exercising makes your muscles stronger. You know, if you go through that kind of thing, it could make your mental outlook maybe some uh, stronger as well. Right. Is that?
2: Well, my faith was certainly stronger. Um, My faith, my faith was stronger because I had solidified, witnessing god answer prayers and miracles for us and so then it kind of becomes just so real that nothing can take it away from you but the accident actually almost did so i i almost lost hope and faith um working through my accident
0: all right tell us about october the 4th of 2016
2: it was just a normal day that day. And, and I, you know, I want to tell you that I'm not OCD or particular about anything. Um, really, I mean, I leave like the toothpaste off the toothpaste thing and that drives my husband crazy. I leave cabinet doors open, you know, I'm an artist and I do math and I'm kind of all over the place. But when it comes to driving, I'm kind of particular, you know, maybe even arrogant before the accident where i could tease my husband that, like well someone's had a ticket because he's had tickets and i've never had a ticket and you know he's had four total car accidents and i've never had an accident and i would tease him pretty regularly if i had the opportunity before the accident which made it really hard but um so october was a normal day i taught class it was a tuesday And the kids were very busy, you know, boys had swim, Katie had uh, volleyball, and, you know, we have our little haven who, you know, goes around with all of us and, you know, I taught school that day and went to the gym and got a workout in, and basically because the boys were at swim practice, I couldn't stay for volleyball, and so I asked a friend of mine to take, uh, take Katie. And she's like, Oh yeah, I've got her. We're actually going after the game to eat as a team. I was like, great. I'm going to be at the YMCA. And, uh, she said, well, I'll just bring her to you after we're done eating. And I was like, awesome. Great. Thank you. You know? And so I, you know, I watched the sunset that day and, um, there's a huge window where my elliptical was and so I enjoyed, you know, watching, we, we were kind of on a downside, you know, Haven was recovered. I, I think I, I was kind of de-stressing to where the school had already gotten to a routine and I felt like I could finally start, you know, getting back into the gym and making good use of that swim practice time. And, you know, so I felt it was a good day. It was a, it was a great day. And about eight o'clock, I had just finished out my workout. And I got a text from the mom, and she said she was running home to drop off her girls. So she's like, "I'm dropping my girls off, and then I'm coming to the gym." And I just wrote her back, and I said, "Well, that that doesn't make sense. If you're home, stay home. I'll just come get Katie instead." You know, I didn't want her to have to come, come, uh, you know, drop her off and get back out. So I took the girls and went to go get Katie and. I picked her up, said hi to my friend. It was cold. It was kind of just starting to get chilly. Not like terribly cold, but, you know, chilly. So she ran to the car and we, you know, we were just talking about the game. How would you do during that third match? You know, did you make your goal? You know, did you score? How was your serve? You know, just normal things from the, um, from the house back to the exit of that subdivision.
0: So, so both girls were with you at this time.
2: Right. So my four-year-old, four and 12, you know, I, I knew my, my friend's home, you know, I've been there mainly more during the day, but not as much during, you know, at nighttime. And it had just started kind of getting dark early by eight. You know, I don't know. It's basically I, when I got to the, um, there's a road, a main road, I say main road, but it's a country road and there isn't really anything past that subdivision or at least I thought there wasn't. I'd never explored. If I had turned right, I'd never really explored turning right um, on that country road. I've always just gone left and I came to a stop sign and I was just, you know, talking to uh, my daughter and then I started to turn and I didn't know, but at the same time, there was a man coming on his motorcycle to my left um, up the hill, and I didn't see him until I entered into the lane. So, you know, it's just, it happened so fast, and so much happened during that fast time. Like, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that's a car, I remember looking back over my shoulder and seeing my daughter and her face just lit up with light. You know, my only thought was to accelerate. I don't know. I that was just what I did. I just accelerated and I braced for impact. Like I literally, everything happened so fast. Yeah. I looked over at my daughter and her just, all I can explain is that like the whole car just filled with light all of a sudden it was like no light. And then suddenly just light. And I looked at her face where her jaw just dropped and I, and I braced for impact. And, um, and then there was no impact, you know? I mean, there was, it was just little and (laughs) I didn't understand what that meant at first. I had already accelerated, so I kind of like went really fast there was a little bit of skid marks on the street where I just accelerated and then ended up kind of in a ditch on the other side of this country road. Because I mean we were in like a country road and um there was just I ended up in a ditch in front of someone's middle piping property. And it was just like that. I mean, our worst nightmare. Um what you can't even I don't even completely know how to describe to someone how life changed instantly not just for this sweet man that was there but for us too and his children you know so but basically I had a collision with a motorcyclist and I uh took me a second to just think what just happened you know like I had to Your brain had to process because, like, I had prepared to be crunched or something, like, and I had to think, like, I don't understand. And Katie said, Mama, did did someone just hit us? Did someone just hit us, you know? And um, I had to say, yeah, I think they did. So Katie was already crying. Haven didn't understand. So she started crying. And I looked in the rearview mirror. And that's when I, um, I saw him and uh all there was was his light from his motorcycle and um i realized what had happened so i looked over at my 12-year-old and i said stay he- in the car and pray mommy's got to go help him and um i grabbed my phone and i shut the door and both my girls were just crying in the car And I ran in the dark towards him because we didn't have any light. And, um, you know, this thing about this intersection is it's like kind of a – it's kind of at a – there's it's really not a good spot from either side. There's kind of a slight elevation from the right change, and then there's a more elevation from the left. So it's kind of a spot where – we we were both in a very dangerous place, and then I had a black car, and so my black car was just in a ditch with my girls. I didn't turn the hazards on, you know. I didn't think to do any of those things. I just left them. Um, I turned the car off and just left them. And she didn't have a cell phone at that point. I took the cell phone and I called, you know, called nine one one. And when I got there, he was not um, responsive, and. I suddenly, just like kind of what you hear about, like, I lost all thought. I didn't know the street name of where I was. I don't know, autopilot, but I just did whatever the 911 operator told me to do. And what's amazing about that is just suddenly there was a neighbor. I mean, I was screaming and I was waving our hand and I was trying to do what the operator, I mean, I don't even know, like some parts of me can't even recreate this little space and time completely. Like there's some things I remember and some things I can't even answer. Like um, I was shocked. I, I kind of later looked back to see how long was I on the 911 call? Like I, I wanted to just kind of see. And it was only like less than three minutes. So from calling to um, having help was all less than three minutes and I can't even process how that all happened. Okay, one I need help. Okay,
1: where you're outside. <laughs> grandfather in the middle of the road. Please. Okay. Please. Where grandfather DC is what's going on, madam like, I hit a man on a motorcycle. You hit a man on a motorcycle? Okay. Oh, right, okay. I'm still wearing my tie. Oh, you see you, help me from the motorcycle. Sam, for what do you get you Go ahead. I know, honey, it's okay. What's It's right? okay. <laughs> just pray. Father Dad, I ask for you to heal him and be with me. My life is. out of Grand Harbor Court, but uh, I don't know where on Grand Harbor is. James Cooper Addition. Anybody know this street? Anybody know this? <laughs> Davis Road. Davis Road? Davis Road. Yes. He's bringing an ambulance. Okay, we're going to... Sam, slow down for me. Okay? I'm such alongside. long time. Thank you. Sam? Is he breathing? He's breathing? He's breathing. Oh. I don't know I don't know what he's moving. I don't to do. okay. No, ma'am. Go. Okay, ma'am. Oh ma'am. Okay, ma'am. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Okay. This is someone. with this. this is the kind of show up. Is mm-hmm. this is to This is... Can you tell me what's going on out there? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If is do wrecked on a motorcycle on Davis Road. Okay.
2: Um... He, uh... Actually, he did for Okay. Is the, is the person on the motorcycle... Is he
1: a waste? Hard to say. Hard to say? Yeah. Yeah. There's a head injury, so I'm not sure. Okay. He said he was was breathing, but. He's not responding. He's not responding. He's not responding. Right. Okay, he's got a little. Okay, he's breathing a little bit. Okay. There's some movement happening. There's some movement happening? How old does he look to be, sir? Uh... 50s? Okay. Late 50s? Okay. Here's a police uh, here. target. Okay,
2: I'm gonna let you go, okay? Yeah, I Mm-hmm. of your emergency. Johnson County with transfer of an accident. Go ahead, ma'am. Go ahead, caller. Um, motorcycle accident on uh, Davis Road at Grand Harbor Estates. Okay. Are there any injuries?
1: Yes, there's a man in the middle of the road. They're doing CPR on him right now. They are doing CPR on him? Yeah, some people stopped and pulled over. Yeah, we need an ambulance. Okay. We do have another call. We've already got medics on our way out there, and you said that he's in the middle of the road? Yes, he is in the very middle. Okay. And what was your name? My name is...
0: And what's
1: the phone number? Yeah. Okay, and he says they are doing CPR. Are they, yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, they are. Okay, they're here yeah. now. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and let you go. Okay. Okay. Thank yeah. you. So I did what they told me to, do, like check for breathing, and um, and he was still breathing. It was just really shallow and. I did what they asked me to do, and um,
0: and were your kids still in the car?
2: Yeah, they were still in the car, and I could hear them. Um, you know they're screaming, Mama, but I, I couldn't go to them, and I didn't want to let go of his hand. And um, suddenly, you know, there was a neighbor, and I consider this uh, neighbor a hero. I think his name was Richard. I tried to send him a thank you note. I don't know if he ever got it. But he took he took over what the operator was telling us to do, which was because I was trying to do compressions and I wasn't strong enough. So he he took over and he was above him, you know. And I don't know how long he was there before. And miraculously, there was a trooper that was, uh, when they got the call, just literally a couple blocks away. And so... She got there really quickly so that we could, you know, start giving him oxygen with a little mask. And at that point, my hearing kind of went out and I just I could no longer hear the operator talk to me. I just couldn't. And I don't even know how to explain that. So I just gave my phone to someone, you know, and um, I just held his hand and I prayed and they did all the work. I mean, I just kind of melted. I didn't have anything in me left.
0: I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida. So I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have CookUnity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing.
2: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code WHAT or going to cookunity.com slash WHAT.
0: Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing, two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels, and thankfully that's all backed up by science, and all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature, and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DS01 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try.
2: Trust your gut with Seeds DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. So there I was, you know, suddenly in this accident and scared to death and scared for this man and, you know, in complete shock, like you know, shaking, couldn't hear shock, like real shock. You know, they resuscitated him, and and then CareFlight came and took him to a hospital where he could get help, and, uh, you know, I just, that was, that was, I mean, that was kind of like, that was how that day ended, and it was not how I would have ever thought that day would end, you know?
0: And how do you just, from that, just go home and right. go to bed? Or, right. You know, nothing's normal anymore.
2: <laughs> Nothing was normal, and um, and it's still not normal. Here I am, 20 months away, and, and things aren't normal. My normal from before the accident. There is life before and life after. There is Jennifer before and Jennifer after. I'm a different mm-hmm. person, um, not just emotionally but neurologically I've had my brain scanned and I have trauma in my brain like they can see the gray matter of um they're called low waves is one of the therapies that I tried and she could see that even just my brain waves have changed uh, since my accident so so but that night you know there were lots of um miracles that happened like I'm grateful that we could resuscitate him enough to where he got to a hospital and his children had 48 hours with him. You know, he passed away technically on the 6th. And so I'm sure his family thinks of him on October 6th. But for me, it's always going to be October 4th. I mean, I don't know for sure, but when we were still alone, I I thought he was going to say something. I actually thought I had got his attention, you know, and the operator had asked me to, to listen for breathing to, you know, to get, see if his chest was moving. And I, um, I thought he was going to speak to me and, and he just exhaled, you know, I don't know, but I, I hold that, that little moment very sacred
0: and his his name is David?
2: His name was David.
0: Right. Do you know anything about his family?
2: I know very little. I mean, I've tried to be pretty respectful of the family. This is something that I feel like maybe the public should know, because I, I have found twice where people were very shocked when I tell them this, uh, families who have experienced something like this. We are advised immediately to not speak to the family. Um, we are advised not to go to the hospital. We are advised to never try to initiate contact. Not just advised, but strongly advised.
0: Is this advised from friends, police or from a no, no legal?
2: legal, yeah, from lawyers, insurance, uh, the state trooper. I still wrote them a letter. I we lived in a small Texas town, so I tried to. I tried to do a little bit of research, you know, and then God would just provide little ways for me to learn something here and there. I know that he had children, um, three children. I know he had a deeply involved brother. I know that he was a veteran. And um, in fact, that's where he was headed. I didn't know that there was a VFW just a couple, um, not even a half mile. So he was a half mile to his destination. Not even a half mile, maybe more like a quarter mile from where he was going. But I I knew, I did. they did tell me he was a donor, and I'm grateful for that. And I have been told that he was a Christian, and so I'm grateful for that.
0: Can can you talk about in the in the days and weeks following the accident, the support of your family and friends and your church family? How big of a factor was that?
2: Um, it was. It's everything. I think I was in complete shock. Kind of like I. I feel like I was kind of floating, especially while he was still in ICU and continuously just praying that he would survive and that there would just be some kind of miracle, you know, I was doing that. And that wasn't, you know, for me, that was, I just wanted him to live. And so, um, I think, uh, I was the first few days in just complete shock and no one really has a, like a precedent or like, you know, to be able to have any kind of prior knowledge on how to deal with this, no one that we knew really, besides my pastor, who had been through something similar actually the year before, and so they were the ones that came to me. Uh, my husband came and got the girls. Um, they had to block off the street, you know, both ways, and um, he had to come and get the girls from me. And later, he stayed with the kids and our pastor and his wife came to the scene to pick me up. Um, it took several hours to process the scene, and I just sat there, and um, they came to help me. And what's just crazy about that is that my pastor had a, um, a man throw himself into oncoming traffic the year before. Um, the man was very intoxicated and trying to commit suicide. And so when my pastor hit him, he went through and our church family rallied around him. And we knew that loss of sleep and loss of, you know, appetite and our pastor, who is good friends with us, you know, had to go through that.
0: So he had a point of reference that he, he did. knew what you were going to go through.
2: Right. Yeah. In some ways, like he he kind of knew mm-hmm. it was then deemed not his fault, which I think, um, and he did not have... The other things that had led up to that, you know, like we had already been through some stress and we were still going through other stressors. And then he was told, it's not your fault, where in my case, I take responsibility. It was my fault. I did cause this accident. I did not yield the right of way and I did not see him. And um, I mean, I yielded to the stop sign, but it, I didn't see him. I don't know why. I'll never know why. And I've asked my brain why. And I think that's part of why I struggle now is because our bodies are little machines like our brains are still in the in the background running. Why? Why did that happen? Why didn't you see him? If you don't know why you didn't see him, could it happen again? And that little voice and that little program is going on in the back of your head forever until you kind of have a concrete understanding. So, yeah, our pastor, Jason, and his wife, Susan, were amazing to us. They met me there. They drove my car home for me, and they counseled with Chris to kind of watch me, which I didn't know that at the time.
0: So they told your husband to kind of keep an eye on you to watch the signs of
2: Not eating, not sleeping. I called my parents. The only people that I called were my husband and my parents while I was at the scene, Mm And that's, I mean, that's very right. I mean, I don't think I really, I lost all appetite. Food had no taste. It was very Mm -hmm. interesting. Like I literally had zero taste and I mean, I would just drink water. I just literally just floated around kind of dazed. I would hear people and I would interact, but I mainly spent the next few weeks crying, just weeping continuously just couldn't sleep. Even when I laid my head down, it wasn't, I never went into REM sleep.
0: That in itself is a pretty big thing to to not have REM sleep.
2: Right. That's
0: that's a big thing. So you were consciously, you were processing the, the, how was, you know, the the fact that he had passed away. Right. But you had to also be considering what's going to happen to you now.
2: Yes. And that was, and I actually asked my trooper, um, in the car when, um, he called me into his patrol car and, and I finally got up the courage to say, you know, what's, what's going to happen to me? And he had to give me a very, I mean, that was my nature. I want you, I'm a firstborn, like shoot me straight. Um, you know, whatever it is, tell me what it's going to be. And then we're going to face this. And, you know, I'm I'm a good girl. I don't like to get in trouble, and I struggle with people pleasing. And um, you know, he had to think for a second, and then he had to say, you know, he had to tell me, well, this is if he doesn't, if he makes it, you'll hear from a lawyer. You know, you know his his lawyer will probably get in in touch with your insurance. And I was like, okay. And he said, if if he doesn't make it, I'm going to, you'll be hearing more from me and his family will probably get a lawyer. And I said, okay. And and he said, and there, every fatality in our county goes to grand jury, every, every fatality.
0: And a grand jury for people that aren't familiar with a grand jury, it's a group of people that listen to all the facts and decide if charges are to be brought.
2: Right. And they do that to protect the city you know, from being sued to make sure that, you know, every investigation was thorough. And um, it's a scary thing because it's still 12 people that would decide, you know, the facts of that case. And I now have met people who that could go either way. And um, so we had to wait, you know, three months. I hired um, the best criminal defense attorney in town. And that's just weird, you know, you know, to be told, you need a criminal defense attorney. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I just my especially
0: mind. for someone you and you describe yourself as a firstborn, a rule follower, right? You know, all details and and all of a sudden you've broken the worst rule of all. That that's got to be just
2: yeah, unforgivable. How, how does your
0: brain process that? Right,
2: unforgivable. I mean, the worst unforgivable thing, and um, I just immediately. I mean yeah so you're just in complete shock and you know my parents and my husband were just very like oh um my therapist and our pastor hey these are the facts you were you were not speeding you were not on your phone you were not drinking and driving you know you stopped at the stop sign this is a close this is done and I, I think it's going to be in your favor. My therapist kept saying, I, I really feel like this is going to be in your favor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one can give you absolutes. And, um, of course, you feel like maybe you should be punished. Maybe I deserve whatever they need to do. Do I need to die? I mean, I, I literally went through everything. Like, do I deserve this, too, because I caused this? Do I do I deserve jail time? And um, am I a killer? Am I a monster? Uh these are all the thoughts I had to suddenly process, you know, do I have a victim now? I mean, I just, I mean, I couldn't even wrap my brain around all the things that happened in a split second. It was extremely hard. Um,
0: How long did you have to wait to to find out if charges were going to be brought?
2: At, right at three months, right at three okay. months. Yeah. We actually got the decision right before Christmas. Um, and That's another miracle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, um,
0: before we get to the grand jury decision, can you tell me about the one time you were having you were having a sale and you met a neighbor?
2: Right. Um, So, I had a couple of big prayer requests. You know, my prayer every day was for his kids that they had a support system like mine or better. Because I I had people around me loving me and walking me through it, you know. And I just hoped and prayed that they had that stability through their grief. And so that was one prayer. Another prayer I had was that I could somehow meet someone that knew him. And then I was also kind of terrified that anybody I knew would know him. So it's, it's funny. I mean, it was really right there. Like I wanted to meet someone that knew him to maybe kind of know a little bit more about this man that I suddenly truly cared for that I only knew for two minutes, but I feel like it was just the, the most important two minutes of his life. Cause I mean, you know, so I was having a garage sale and I had been praying that and, um, you know, I want to meet someone, Lord. I just want them to know then I'm not a monster, and then I'm sorry. And so there I was having this garage sale, and I had a friend and my mom there helping me. And um, our neighbor came over and said, "Hey, hey, how much do you want for this elliptical?" And I was like, "I'll make you a good deal. I will make you a great deal. You know, neighbor special." And he was just the sweetest old man. Uh, I mean, I'd seen him a lot. Um, I knew his wife was a gardener and he was always, he's retired and coming and going. That's pretty much all I knew about him. And he said, oh, my wife would be so thrilled if I, if I surprise her with this elliptical. And I was like, awesome, you know. And then he, he paused for a second and he said, he said, well, let me go run some veterans over to the VFW because I help people who can't get around anymore. I'm gonna go drive them around a little bit, and I'll be back. And if it's still here, I want to buy it. And I said, "Well, I'll hold it for you." And but then I thought my brain stopped, and I knew what he was talking about. He that VFW that's right there where my accident was, and I knew that David was there. And my heart just started pounding. You know, and my mom and my friend were just sitting there, like they're still sitting in their chair, and I was sweating. Like I immediately felt anxiety and, and then I looked at him and I, you know, I reached out my hand to him, which is really kind of weird. He probably thought, what is she doing? And I grabbed his hand and I said, did you know David? And this is uh, probably within a month to six weeks or so. I, I get really foggy on time. Time is difficult for me. And he looked at me and he said, I mean, I didn't even say his last name. I just said David. And he said, yes. And then I had to tell him it was me. And, um, yeah, I think he had to kind of process that for a second. And then he he was like, I would have never thought it was you. Because when you hear about these accidents, you immediately think about this irresponsible, drunk, you know, you know, selfish. You know, we all are guilty of this. We are all I have eaten my own words. And I can tell you about that in a minute if you want to. But I literally have eaten my own words in situations like this. So I said it it was me. And I began to shake and quiver. And then my mom started crying and, um, and I had to say, I'm so sorry that you lost a buddy, you know, and I, please tell anyone at the VFW, I'm so very sorry for their loss. And he, you know, said, thank you. And he said, I will make sure I pass this on because, you know, they thought the worst of the person who did this. and." He said I'll make sure I tell people cuz he kind of knew me before, you know, just just friendly neighborish type stuff, but knew enough of me to realize that I am broken. I mean, <laughs> I just literally broke down. I mean, I almost felt like kneeling and letting him just like hit me <laughs> or something, you know. I mean, that's that's kind of how you feel. Um like you feel as if you need to be just i don't know just whipped. extreme guilt extreme guilt it's extreme guilt and it's um but there's nothing that can make this better you know there's there's no amount of money there's no there's no words that i could ever say there's nothing that i can truly do to make this better for anyone who loved this man he was an innocent man and he lost his life very tragically and you know, yeah, I have to live with that. It's a, it's kind of a daily thing. So I, he did, he bought that elliptical and, and he was very sweet. I found out later he did talk to his children um, or at least a family member on my behalf, which I didn't know he did that for a while. I didn't, I had no idea. I didn't ask him to do that. Um, I told him, he's he mentioned, hey, you know, If you ever want to come and talk to the officers, you know, we can invite you into the meeting and you can address the officers. And I I eventually did do that. But yeah, that's what um, happened. It was an answered prayer and it was very scary. But it was also kind of relieving that I got to say sorry to at least someone and um, pass on my condolences and, you know, share my heart. And I felt really good. I felt very, very grateful that the Lord would provide that. It was just amazing. I feel like that was a true miracle that he he just happened to say that. Otherwise, I would have never known. If he just said, hey, I got to go drive a buddy to run an errand, I would have never known. He just happened to say VFW, and I happen to now know that we're down the road. The accident happened within a mile of my home. Um, So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So it's a, so you said it's like a few days before Christmas, you got you got the news. How did that happen?
2: Um, So we, we didn't think it was going to happen and we were all praying that I would be seen by this grand jury. Um, my attorney said that, you know, grand juries, they get seasoned, you know, so when, you know, they, they have a term of six months. And so when they first get on, their first session they're very sensitive and they don't want to make anything wrong so they pretty much indict everybody (laughs) because they don't want to carry that burden either i mean can you imagine if you really had to put yourself in someone else's shoes like if this had been my husband you know i get it i mean you know i'm saying like i i get it and um the day of the grand jury, I did prepare. I had, um, you know, my parents came into town and we had people that were praying, um, ready, you know, to be with us. And, uh, I shipped out all the kids. They each had a friend to go to and it was the middle of the week, but they got to go spend the night on a school night with friends and our friends that knew what was happening. They had, you know, they were going to distract them. They had an activity planned and, um, You know, everything was fished out. Um to make sure that Chris could just focus on me, you know, getting if I was, you know, indicted to um to place bond and um you know, and they assured me, you know, if that happens, we're gonna put you in a safe place. You'll do what's called a walkthrough. I mean, (laughs) you know, just (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's actually Chris didn't really my husband didn't really have kind of a an emotional, I mean, he had emotional, but he, like, it really became real that night before.
0: He probably, as a man, he wanted to help, but it was, everything was, this was out of his control.
2: Right. Right. And, um, you know, and so I'll tell you, like, you know, before the accident I kind of was that person, you know, when when Haven or Katie needed an MRI or a scan or a neurologist appointment, you know, I made it, you know, I kind of handled the insurance and I handled the doctor's appointments and I handed, you know, I would take care of it, all those things for us, you know, I kind of took care of at one point finances. And then when I went to graduate school, he took over finances, but I kind of, you know, had, he was always the leader of my home, but I I feel like I—I I don't know how to describe it, but I was that go-to person. Like, if it needed to be done, I could i could do those things, mm-hmm. and I could be reliable, and, you know, I could juggle family and work and graduate school and, you know, ministry, and then I couldn't. He knew that in that moment, like, he had to kind of take things— on that he had never had to in 15 years of marriage. And he did it so wonderfully and so amazingly where he he literally he played out our vows. I mean, vows are no joke. <laughs> you know, whether it was just making sure that I ate or slept or let me cry and just hold me and at that point he had really taken since the accident like groceries, lunches for the kids for school. I mean, I, I literally couldn't hardly do any of those things just besides just breathe. Um, breathing took effort. Um, and when we got to the grand jury, when I set up, I did set up who was going to go where I, it kind of almost like, I felt like I was back to my old self just for a brief little bit, because I, wrote out a piece of paper, and I said, okay, this is the contact information for so-and-so, and and they have so-and-so, and, And, you know, for one of our kids, (laughs) and this is the contact information to so-and-so family, and they have, you know, they have Katie, and this is the contact, you know, and I laid it out for him in case I wasn't there. (laughs) That's crazy, (laughs) and I don't know if it was just the glimmer of, that's how I used to be, Having it all for him laid out, you know, like, here's the doctor appointment. This is the time. This is where we're going to be. This is the address. You know, I don't know. But suddenly he broke down. And then I was strong again. And, um, mm. but thankfully we had that next day and, you know, everybody was ready. And my lawyer said, if you get a call from me, that means I need you to come down to the courthouse. And in case they wanted to, the grand jury wanted to, you know, ask me questions or um, they told me that arraignment and things like that wouldn't happen till after five. They kind of, I guess, see all the cases and then all the decisions are given out all at one time is what they said the procedure is. So we had expected to not know yes or no until five o'clock because they want to make sure the grand jury has been able to dismiss and no one you know, as aggressive or upset about a decision, you know, so that, I mean, so we had all kind of taken the day off and many people were surrounding us and everything had been figured out. And my, my mom had just got there and there popped up on my phone was my attorney's office calling. And I just remember just, thinking, okay, (laughs) okay, you know, okay. (laughs) Um, And he didn't really prepare me for what they might say. He just said, you just go through whatever they ask you. Just be as honest as you can, you know. And um, so I saw that call come in, and I think I wanted to vomit. Um, You know, my mom looked at me and... So why don't you go upstairs to take that call? And you know, and uh, when I answered the phone, it wasn't my lawyer, and I was really confused. And he said, "Jennifer, um, I'm our dis- the district attorney." He said his name, and he said, "I just the grand jury asked for me to call you personally and tell you." That they've given you a no bill. And they want you to have a Merry Christmas with your family. And I was just in shock. Um, because I wasn't supposed to know until 5 o'clock. And it was probably 10 a.m. ish. I don't know. So I received my new bill. And there was, this was literally the week before Christmas. And we hadn't put up a tree. My mom hadn't put up a tree, you know, basically anyone who loved me was kind of like in pause. You know, Thanksgiving, there was no normal family celebration. I mean, we got together, but it was like different.
0: Like a cloud.
2: Like thing. a cloud. And, and it wasn't just a cloud because I was facing something. It was also like constantly feeling... How should I get to celebrate when there is an empty chair that will not be filled at another family's get-together, you know? Like, how dare I celebrate and enjoy my loved ones when somewhere there are people missing him? So, it wasn't just that, because we did begin to celebrate, and I was so grateful that, that part could be behind me. That was, that was certainly, I can't even describe. So, I mean, I've been through brain surgery, you know, signing a waiver saying your daughter may not make this and, um, or she may be paralyzed, you know, and then I did it again. I mean, nothing can compare to that, that 90 days, as three months of waiting to decide if, um, if I was going to go to jail and, you know, and now I've met people who had complete freak accidents, but were indicted. Um, some even that did still be found guilty and, and they're so amazing. They're amazing that I thought life would be over. And that was one of the things where I literally thought life would be over. My marriage would be over. How could I even ask my husband to wait for me um, if I had to go serve time in jail? Like, how could I mean, I just could not completely wrap my brain around it. But now that I've met other people, they are just so brave. I mean, it's just I'm in awe of the stories that I've now heard and people that I've met that have been through experiences like this where everything I thought, well, I just couldn't have survived through this. Now I've met other people or hear heard other stories and I just I'm in awe of them. Just well
0: let's talk about that a little bit. You have a you have a blog and there's a Facebook group and so you are contacted regularly by other people who have gone through similar situations what what do you say to them how do how do you tell them to get
2: through it you're not alone when i was um in the weeks of this happening you can search anything you can search all kinds of things you know grief and loss of a child loss of a spouse loss of a dog loss of a friend um loss of job grieving marriage grieving you cannot find grief of a stranger. Um, you will not find something to help you, a self-help book for you accidentally killed someone. You know, there. there's a movie called Manchester by the Sea, and it's about what happens to this man who accidentally killed his children. And the movie, it took me, once I Found out what the movie was about. It took me months before I had the courage to watch the movie, and I identified with this man, and this character, amazingly. And the research. What's What's even more interesting about that is uh, Matthew Broderick, the actor, had an accident causing fatality, and he was in the movie. And I would suspect he was able to help that fellow actor who played the dad we we have a lot of things in common almost all of us 100% have and i can't speak for everyone um we grieve in different ways grief grief is a beast grief grief you can't put in a box you know you can't it's all going to be a little bit different for different people but there is little boxes you can check off and you i went through all the emotions of grief i experienced ptsd um anxiety suddenly panic attacks hallucinations. I mean, you you name it. Um, I went through it, and I always felt alone, which is crazy because I had literally just, I became stronger. Um, like my parents and I, we were always close. I had an amazing childhood. My parents were very involved. I mean, they were, my dad is also a teacher, um, so they were always involved, you know, with Teacher council, parent teacher council, and um, my dad sponsored our cheer squad one time. I mean, he was just always involved. My mom was always involved. My sister, you know, we were a close family, but this was different. I was suddenly, as an adult, talking to her more regularly, hugging more, making sure we were saying "I love you" more. So that was, you know, something good. But I still felt alone. Because there's one, no self-help. I was told by two different therapists, I don't know how to treat you. There's not a protocol. I don't really know how, which kind of therapy to use with you. Uh, I had to seek out help. It wasn't just brought to me like, um, you know, victim services did not come to help me. In fact, I would not even be considered that. My trooper told me, hey. You are kind of normally when this happens. I'm making an arrest. I mean, that's what he told me, sitting in that car. And normally when this happens, I am making an arrest. And I just had to look at him. He said, "We don't really know what to do with you. We, I mean, when these things happen, we don't. We don't have a. You're that odd man out, that one off. So um when you're told by therapists they don't know how to help you and you don't know how to help yourself. And you can't even, when I tried to research, I was coming up empty. I felt so alone. And there, you, you know that that can't be very rational because accidents happen every single day. and I never really stopped to think about the other driver, the other flip side. And I'll come back to, I actually kind of touched base on this a minute ago. I had to eat my own words. Um, God is so good. I, I am sorry. I know I'm not here to preach or anything, but He he even convicts us and teaches us moments. For whatever reason, I had um, at some point a memory, too, actually, a memory of um, uh, my mom telling me that someone that I had known and she knew— That there was an accident and her husband was suddenly gone, and the wife was now a widow to four children. Like, whatever reason, this was before my accident. I remember us sitting, you know, my mom was like, Oh, I hope that person wasn't texting, probably speeding. You know, my mom said something like that. And I said to her, Oh, I cannot imagine how she must feel just suddenly losing her her husband like that, and and I said, oh, I said, I would, I said, and this is all that I remember, I said, I would pursue that person to the ends of the law, and God gave me that memory. I said that, and I had to eat those words, and I had to, you know, months later when I remembered this, go, oh my gosh, please forgive me. Please forgive me for ever judging that person. I mean, maybe they were texting. Maybe they were being negligent. I don't know, but I didn't know the facts of that case. And yet here I was saying, oh, I'm angry for that family. And I said, I would pursue them to the ends of the law. And then here I am on the flip side saying, God, please show mercy and grace. And I'm, I'm grateful for that lesson. I'm grateful for that memory. I am, because when I received the hate mail, when I received not threats, but just anger and frustration, the judgment, because I did, people sought me out. I had to, you know, turn off my Facebook and I kind of reclused a little bit. And I understood I did not retaliate. In fact, I felt understanding of their their hurt and their anger. But what I hope our group does not only offers hey, caddy, fellow caddy ACS survivor, you know, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. You are not a monster. You are grieving. You're not crazy. Here are suicide hotlines. Here are therapies that we've found that have helped other people. Um, we want to become like a resource. So another caddy, my sweet friend that I met through this tragedy, um, and sh- I haven't actually met her or even talked to her, that she was interviewed and I was interviewed, and we kind of came together in this amazing way. And she created a website. And so, the only resource I ever found so, remember months and months of searching, months and months and months of searching. And I would, I would even search what was going to happen to me. So, I would search things like um, accident plus fatality and my fault. You know, trying to, mm-hmm. you know, I would just try to like, Find something, and I would find either nothing, or I find things where you know, like I found a man in Austin who was indicted. Um, he was eating a shrimp taco, and a shrimp fell out of his lap because he was driving. A shrimp fell out of the taco into his lap. He was in Austin, and he glanced down to pick up that shrimp out of his lap. And a um, you know, lots of people bike in Austin. And he hit a cyclist and the cyclist passed away and he was indicted. I think that's a whole nother conversation. So there's also the aspect of our, our voices to educate the public about what is distracted driving. I think it's phenomenal that we're trying to improve upon texting and driving, but guys, this could happen to anyone. When I gave my interview for the New Yorker, the uh, journalist said, your story scares the hell out of me. And I pardon my language, but that's what she said. She's from New York, but that's what she said. Your story, because you are just that everyday Joe. And on that day, I'm guilty of, you know, driving while tired. I am guilty of driving and getting onto my kids in the backseat. seat. I am guilty that, you know, I remember when I was younger, I would check my makeup while still driving, you know?
0: Cuz it feels very, I mean, it, we feel like we can do that and we're not distracted. We right. can do it. Right. Other people shouldn't do that, but
2: Right. I'm
0: okay cuz I can I've got control. Or
2: or you think, "Oh, well there's there's I have this open this open road. I'm not doing anything crazy." But let's talk about when I had my investigation. It was Did you have an argument with your husband that day, or the day before? How much sleep did you get? Were you getting on? You know what were happening. What was happening with the kids? Were Were you having to get on to them? I mean, the reason why this trooper had these questions for me is because this is this is their protocol. These are considered distractions. Mm -hmm. How loud was your radio going? Were you dancing to the the songs? And I had to be like, oh my gosh, I am so grateful that in that moment I could honestly say no. I was stopped at that stop sign just asking Katie, did she score? Did she get her serve over the net? You know, I didn't even have the radio on because we were talking. Haven was just chilling in her back in her car seat, you know, but I had to think about. I'm guilty of all those things or how many times when, you know, you're driving you're like, Oh man, you're in a new place. And you, Oh, that was a stop sign. Oh man, that, that light turned red, you know, and you have, oh, you know, you start to get into a lane and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm going to come back into my lane. And you're like, Whoa, Oh, thank goodness. I didn't see that, that man in my blind spot, you know, my blind spot. We all have these moments that we can take into um, our thoughts. If, Something had aligned just like I, my plans changed 10 minutes before that accident. And apparently, and I don't know if this is true, he had already been at the VFW, left, and was coming back. He had just bought that motorcycle that day. You know, I mean, there's just some parts where. I hope that your audience will be a ripple of compassion as they start to, because you will then notice these accidents really do happen every day. And if you ever see it floating around Facebook about, oh no, there's been a fatality on I-35 or whatever, you know, some highway or, and you immediately think about that family who just lost a loved one. Absolutely. But also to just go, wait a minute. There is a whole other aspect, not just that family. A ripple of people's lives just changed. My children's lives, his children's lives, his, you know, all these people just that are innocent to this. You know, I I it broke my heart that I broke my children's heart. It broke my heart that I broke my husband's heart. It broke my heart that I broke my mother's heart. Ao
0: seeing seeing things from a different perspective, it makes me think of this for people that are friends or family members of someone who has gone through what you've gone through, what is the right thing to say? How do you I know some people are just don't say anything or just kind of not interact with you anymore, but for people that really want to help, what can they do
2: um Well, please don't say I ran over a dog, (laughs) and oh my gosh, I felt horrible.
0: (laughs) Oh, so they're trying to kind of identify with you by saying they hit an animal?
2: Yeah, and uh, I mean, I know their heart was in the right place, but I just thought, oh my gosh, I would have to look at three children lost their daddy and because i know how close my children are to their daddy and how much i value family or veterans i put high esteem in people who've served our country so that wasn't that was um kind of a sting i know it was just, it was a try but um i think what really helped And and even saying, Jennifer, this wasn't your fault. This was just an accident. This was not your fault. That's not always received well either. Um, Just because it doesn't matter that it was an accident and it was somehow my fault. I was involved. I think what can help is just saying, this is hard, but I'm going to walk with you through it. And I don't know how you feel, but I'm here for you. And it's okay to be broken. And it's okay, it's okay, whatever you're feeling. If you are angry right now, if you are angry at God right now, if you are angry at yourself or whatever, you know, whatever stage you're in, I'm here, Just I'm just here. I'm just here if you need to scream, if you need to cry, if you need to, um, if you need uh, just a little help, you know to someone to be there because the little things like laundry or brushing your teeth become overwhelming. And that's so awful to say that, but that's where I was. I mean, to get kind of a happy face on took so much energy out of me to just go out. And then when I got back home, I immediately back into pajamas and back in my bed. You know, my my poor family didn't have me for a good four to six months. I had to decide I wanted to live. I mean, I would kind of be there, but I had to decide to fight for my health, my mental health. You know, going to the doctor and getting on medicine and finding a nighttime routine that would help me get some kind of sleep. I remember, you know, finally getting to where I would fall asleep by midnight and waking up around five and being like, okay, that's a start, you know. Most of the time now, I still have pretty good days, but there's some nights where nothing's going to help. The melatonin is not going to help. The Tylenol PM's is not going to help. Nothing's going to help. Reading my Bible is not going to help. I'm just not going to sleep that night for whatever reason. So, and I've, I've learned that this is a lifelong thing. I've met people who had their accident 40 years ago, like Marianne, um, and she is the founder of um, accidentalimpacts.org. And she was the only resource available anywhere in the world. Um, she termed the term caddy, which is causing accidental death and injury. Um, it's what she preferred to call herself. She is a, I don't know if she's still practicing counseling, but you know, her story is available and she's very open and she's an, a fighter. She's an advocate for us that this should be recognized by the counseling community. And, um, I feel, but she's in her seventies, you know? And so I, not that I ever wanted this torch, I mean, I would have much rather fought for Chiari malformation research, (laughs) you know, I would have much rather, you know, advocated for special education and, or even working with at-risk youth and like what we've done before, never in a million years would I have wanted this cause.
0: Sometimes you don't get to choose your cause because it chooses you.
2: Right. And so when I was crying on my therapist's couch, bless his heart, my Dr. Knox um, was amazing, and um, I'm forever grateful to him. He took me on um, because he had, you know, special knowledge. He actually is a chaplain, and he works a lot with police officers and PTSD and so anyone that is a caddy, we highly recommend a therapist that specializes in PTSD because it's as close as they can relate to that battle and, you know, survivor's guilt, um, things like that, which is all that you, ex- you know, er- all of us experience that. And, and it's cross-culturally, you know, we've been contacted now from several countries both the wives of people and mothers of other people, all age groups, all ethnicities, and they are reporting back the same things that they can recognize. We all have these where we can finish each other's sentences. When I found the f- first couple of, um, I, I started a, a blog, and I at first I wanted to keep it private because I was so afraid of, the backlash and the people who say you should be in jail and you should rot in hell. And, you know, I got that, you know, so I was really afraid. But then I thought, if I keep this all to myself, we're never going to make a change. And I had to be willing to take that on. And so um, I finally did that. And when other caddies find me, they, we feel like we can finish each other's sentences. We can finish each other's thoughts. And we were like, oh my gosh, you were in my head in some of my blog posts. I mean, they, and I'm so grateful because I'm like, okay, good. If you think that, and I think that maybe I'm not crazy. Um, You know, cause you want that validation that you're not crazy. And cause you feel crazy. So anytime I find like someone like, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. You know, it helps you to feel like, okay, this is normal. My normal. I wish it wasn't normal, but this is my normal. Because if you feel this way and I feel this way, then we can, we can at least go, okay, we're not crazy. How do we keep moving forward? And, okay, well, this is what works for me. So, I, you know, I, I used art therapy. And I, you know, I did this thing called neurofeedback. And it was amazing. I wish I could do more of it. There is, you know, somebody else who said, this is how I remember the lost. You know, they did, he did a memorial kind of thing for the victim. And that gave me an idea of something that I wanted to do for, for David, you know, and so we can kind of, we all keep the people that we hurt in a very special place in our heart. I mean, that is something that's consistent. Even if we knew them or if we didn't know them, we hold them in just like this delicate relationship place that we can't even describe. It's weird. Um, we don't know a name for it.
0: Yeah, maybe you know. need to create a name for it. Well, if, if people want to contact you, to ask you questions or for resources on how to get through something like this, how can they do that?
2: Okay. um, So the first website I'll give you is um, accidentalimpacts.org. And that is a website. That is Marianne. She is a social psychologist and educator. So her website, it's still, you can find it, accidentalimpacts.org.
0: And we'll have this, you can send that information to me and I'll put it in the show notes sure. for this episode.
2: Absolutely. And so she's kind of the trailblazer. She is a caddy herself. Her accident was over 40 years ago. And so she has blog posts. Um, her blog post about what to do with an anniversary really helped me. Um, she helped me to feel like there I wasn't alone. She has kind of like a thread forum type thing where people can post. That's how I found out about the New Yorker article and connected with another caddy. And then we have accidentalcasualties.com and that was uh, created by my friend and fellow uh, caddy and we have we don't really know where it's going to go but it's a resource um it's a resource for people to just feel not alone there is a forum there's information on how to contact us through there and we try to just be a place for people to find for anyone is welcome resources on suicide and PTSD treatments and any treatment that is recommended to someone, we try to get information on the, the blog about that treatment. So um, so you could get that information and um, I've, you can also email me if you want to share your story. I have several people who don't want to be involved in any kind of support group, but they've just sent me their story so that someone has heard their their story. You know, sometimes just releasing that helps. Um, I certainly found it therapeutic to finally go openly in public about my story. So I appreciate you with this as well. So, um, and that email is beautifullybrokenblog16 at gmail.com. And you're certainly welcome to email me and I can try to pray for you or listen or, you know, whatever. So I'm certainly not a doctor or a counselor, but just someone who is a friendly ear. Right. And
0: you're familiar with the resources that are available. So maybe you can direct people to whatever's appropriate for what.
2: Right. Or if they have a resource that we don't know about, I'd love to know, you know, I'm still, I'm still a person that is deeply affected and I now live with anxiety. So, um, I love to learn and about other resources. So
0: great, Jen, um, I'm sorry your family has gone through this and, and that David's family has gone through this, but certainly grateful for you coming on here and, and sharing your story. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people.
2: Well, thank you. I appreciate you, Scott. Thanks for reaching out.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. My goal for each show is to introduce you to people and stories that you just won't find on other podcasts. If you want to help support the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can click the big subscribe button on the website, which is whatwasthatlike.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or whatever app you use to catch your podcasts. In the near future, you'll be able to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still working on getting those set up. In the meantime, though, if you'd like to contact me, you can email me at scott at whatwasthatlike.com or just go to the website and click on contact. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode, where we'll once again ask the question, what was that like?